Welcome back to the PITCOM podcast. In this episode, we speak to Professor Ron Heron about the role of molecular imaging in unraveling nature's complexity. My name is Ron Heron. I'm a distinguished professor of molecular imaging at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. I'm also the director of the Maastricht Multimodal Molecular Imaging Institute, which is a whole mouthful, but you can remember M4I, Maastricht for Imaging. And um, I was trained as a physicist, then developed a career in chemistry, biochemistry, and now I'm teaching in a medical center. So you could say uh, my career took me through all of the disciplines in science. I've always wondered about the complexity of nature. And as I was trained as a physicist, uh, I have my own hero. And uh, one of my heroes is uh, Richard Feynman, who you might know of. And he once said in an interview, but you get to stop and think about it to really appreciate the complexity, the inconceivable nature of nature. And actually, I love that quote because it sort of describes what triggered me to go into science, which is to satisfy my own curiosity and understand this complexity of the world around me. The field I'm engaged in is molecular imaging using mass spectrometry. And there are essentially two ways of generating images with a mass spectrometer. Either using lasers, where we fire a laser at the surface, we evaporate and ionize molecules and analyze them in the mass spectrometer, or we use an ion beam where a primary ion generate secondary ions that are then analyzed by a mass spectrometer. And that's the field of secondary ion mass spectrometry. And actually in my work, we use both in concert because each of the technologies has complementary features. But the beauty of SIMS is that it can achieve spatial resolutions like no other technique in imaging mass spectrometry. Um, what is molecular imaging more broadly and what are its advantages? So molecular imaging, is a form of, if you want, molecular photography, where we try to take snapshots of the molecules that are on very, very complex surfaces, such as tissue sections from biopsy of cancer patients, but also solar cells, or even leaves in a vineyard uh, where microbes are growing on the leaf, and we try to fight them. And what molecular imaging does, it produces a map or a photograph of the spatial location of the molecules, combined with the identity of the molecules themselves. So the two combined give you the spatial location and the molecular identity. And how can secondary ion mass spectrometry be employed in molecular imaging? The beauty of secondary ion mass spectrometry is its incredible spatial resolution. So these ion beams can, focus down, can be focused down to a very, very small spot. Spots down to 50 nanometers. So what we can do in the field of molecular imaging we can generate very, very detailed pixels, very small pixels, which provide us an insight of what's going on in a single cell in the context of a complete tissue. So that is what SIMS brings. It brings very high spatial resolution. And one added advantage is that we can play a trick. So if we think about cells, we can actually sputter away layer by layer an individual single cell and create a three-dimensional map of all molecules in that single cell. So that is the advantage of SIMS in molecular imaging. In what medical fields can advances in digital um, molecular pathology have an impact? Digital pathology is essentially the pathologist looking at digital images rather than through his microscope. 
as molecular imaging using mass spectrometers generates these images, um, these digital images can be actually shared very easily with the pathologist. In fact, they can be a layered overlay on top of the optical images that they already have. Now that approach where the pathologist, which normally looks at the morphology of a cell, can now augment the way he looks at his problem with the molecular information. And that combination can be implied in many different diseases. I mean, one very obvious one is in the, the detection of tumor cells in uh, a piece of tissue uh, in a biopsy. Um, we can look at uh, tissue sections from cartilage that are taken from damaged knees to understand the healing process and design new drugs. We can look at uh, pharmaceutical uh, models, animal models, where we look at where does the drug end up? How is it metabolized? Does it have an effect? Because those are all problems in a spatial context. So in biomedicine, but also in pharmaceutical research, these technologies can be applied uh, with a gold star. How can innovative imaging technologies offer new insights into life's complexity, like you were mentioning at the top of the interview? The, the beauty is that as our mass spectrometers are getting better and better, we're actually seeing, literally seeing in these images, more and more molecular detail. Some of these molecular changes that trigger a process of disease or people want to interfere with when designing a new drug to circumvent a disease um, are related to very minute molecular changes. Um, for me, the beauty of what mass spectrometry imaging can do is that it really can unravel this complexity at levels of spatial detail and levels of molecular detail. The 34th James L. Water Symposium will highlight, well, did highlight the development, commercial construction, and recent advances in instrumentation and its applications. What are some of the recent advancements in secondary ion mass spectrometry? The beauty of the James L. Water Symposium here is that it highlights instrumentation advances. And in this symposium, some of the leapfrog technologies that were uh, highlighted that we were working on is the use of a detector from CERN in the molecular pathology field to really accelerate the field orders of magnitude. And with accelerate the field, I mean accelerate the rate that we can generate these images. Right now, on a typical commercial instrument, we would take about 100 to maybe 1,000 pixels per second, and every pixel corresponds to a mass spectrum. With these new detectors from CERN, we can now take millions of pixels per second which means that we're very close to achieving our, at the moment, ultimate goal, ultimate goals always change, um, of scanning one tissue slide in one minute. So then our molecular imaging technologies with SIMS and MALDI would seamlessly fit in to the digital pathology workflow. How important is it to understand the history of the important contributions and cooperations in this field? The importance of history cannot be stressed enough in my mind, because we all stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, if I looked at uh, the symposium uh, at this pitcon, Nick Winograd sketched the evolution of uh, SIMS, and he highlighted Slodgen and Castain. And those were two researchers that in the 1960s already developed one of the approaches that we are still working with now. Now we've really leapfrogged away with all the new technologies that they did not have available. But the basic ideas are still there. And what you see, and I think that that happens throughout science, is that these early ideas are now accelerating because of all the new technologies that are available. So, and that I think is something which this symposium beautifully highlighted 
because it really brought together all these different elements. So instrumentation engineering, application in uh, the clinic, targeted pathology, and the history on which it all was based. And what are the current challenges within the field of secondary ion mass spectrometry-based molecular imaging? So one of our biggest challenges at the moment is the sheer amount of data we produce. But if I generate, let's say, three terabytes in 10 minutes, and I have to store that for 10 years, or for 15 years, then my storage bill is going to outweigh my electricity bill very, very quickly. So that, that's a major challenge. How do we deal with that? And researchers are looking into smarter solutions of storing data, maybe already only acquiring what is really relevant, so to reduce the amount of data that we, uh, that we generate. The other aspect uh, of the challenges that we face as far as data is concerned, so what do we do with the data and how do we interpret it? So we need smarter artificial intelligence, machine learning, neural networks tools to actually go through that data and find the relevant treasures that we're looking for to understand this complexity of health and disease. And speaking of interdisciplinary interactions and, and connections, how important are events like PitCon for, for such interactions? Actually, we had a very interesting discussion last night with a couple of scientists on exactly this topic. So how does a community like PitCon um, stimulate interdisciplinary sciences? And actually, it's these symposia where you serendipitously encounter uh, new research and you hear of new research that you have not heard of before that actually accelerates your own thinking. So the technical program of PitCon really assists the exchange of ideas. And for me, that's also the message I give to my students that I supervise. Go there and don't go to the field that you're accustomed to. Don't go to the people you know, but just go to a lecture where you think, oh, this sounds interesting, but I have no clue what it is. Because then you'll really start to exchange and learn from other disciplines. And then you facilitate that interdisciplinary exchange. And that's why it's so important to get together. Also physically, because after hours, when we meet up and discuss over a cup of coffee uh, what we're doing, that's also where a lot of this uh, informal interdisciplinary exchange happens. Every month we will be sharing an exclusive interview with some of PitCon's thought leaders. Remember to leave a review, share the episode and follow the PitCon podcast to hear firsthand when new episodes are out.